Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, friggin' guy. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, guy. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had one of those in too long, dude. <laughs> spit. It's the Spit Podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass. We're talking all things surf on this Tuesday, July 28th here in Southern California. David's in Orange County. I'm in San Diego recording remotely because of the COVID-19. Good morning, David. Very responsible, socially distanced by about 65 miles, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, if you were, weren't going to wear a mask in public, we had to, I had to demand a, a socially distanced situation. It's a reasonable response. Actually, I, I, I think it's better when we, obviously it's better when we're in person. Yeah. But. We will one day again, we will be reunited, reunited. once a vaccine is, is in place. Frankly, this is very convenient for both of us it's it's way easier and way less driving i will say dude the one benefit out of all of this that i've realized is um i was driving way unnecessarily too much yeah cutting down on my drive time in the last three months has allowed my productivity to skyrocket essentially yeah for sure so i noticed that you as as is the case with all things david lee scales You've got your boards perfectly friggin' set up behind you. Like, you really think out every scenario. Like, I'm convinced that you probably trim your beard a little before we go <laughs> on the air. You've got uh, your hair just so. You've got your boards situated so we can see the fins and the. I mean, you- I'm, I'm glad that I present that way because you know as well as anybody, I haven't washed my hair in five years. I just wear t shirts. Um, no, so I don't, I didn't trim my beard, but the board's positioning is intentional. Those are usually locked up in their own quiet closet, uh, outdoors, but I brought them in just for the show because I got chastised after the first episode we published where it was the corner of the room that was dark and there was nothing to look at. So I wanted to stage it a little bit for the, for the listeners, by the way, I'm going to back out of the camera's view and you can see I set up some magazines here. (laughs) <laughs> this is this is my brother's uh, artwork from his childhood. It's a photograph. It looks it's a drawing, a crayon drawing of Kelly Slater. And I honestly, I think it's the cover shot of him at G Land, where he was wearing those orange shorts with his arms spread open, like no hand backside barrel. I think it was the big issue of Surfer, maybe. Yeah, exactly. No, it was. You're right. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's what, what that like. image is, right? I know that's what that image is. Yeah, and that was my brother drew that 
when he was like three or four years old with a crayon. And I just found it in some of my things. I was like, oh my God, was that me? No, it couldn't have been me because Kelly Slater wasn't an idol at that point, but it was my younger brother. That's pretty so, cool. So Good yes, work. Scott, I did stage this just for your own viewing pleasure. Right. You should probably consider auctioning that art. It looks like a, a winner. One of a kind piece. Why? Uh, do you have an auction that I could potentially earn I, money on? Yes, I do. The California Gold Surf Auction. We're in full uh, flight here. We've got bidding happening right now. If that's and not California Gold, I don't know what is. I would agree with you. There's there's a, a lot of backstory, a lot of provenance there. Exactly. I think we can just a little frame and and let's sell that thing. Sweet. Yeah. So California Gold Surf Auction, full swing. We do actually have some cool art. There's a Ken Oster um, painting of Tom Kern doing a bottom turn, which is pretty cool. And we've got every single poster from the Eddie I. Cow event. Wow. Um, you know, large format posters, all originals. How many? Um, how going many in, in one I think it's happened? 20. I want to say it's 29. 29 wow. years. There's only been like nine events, but it's, I want to say it's something like 29 years worth of, because they would do a poster every year, right? Right. So um, that's a pretty cool lot. And then um, there's some Jeff Devine imagery. Um, anyway, you should take a, take a peek at it. CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com will get you to the auction site. And we have a lot of action on the, um, on the lots right now. There's a lot of bidding happening. We've got a board that's up to $13,000 right now. We've got some boards at around... Um, you know, 7,000, 6,000. And then there's something for everybody. That's sort of the theme of the auction, David, is something for everybody. So somebody like you or me that doesn't have 20 grand, but we might have $1,500 or maybe even $800. There's boards with starting bids at $200 that are cool 70s pieces. You know, they're not over the top, you know, crazy, but there's some cool 70s pieces that starting bids 200 bucks, you know? So what's the, you can get in the one ball game. What's the one that's at 13,000 right now? It's the Brewer, Dick Brewer, Jack Reeves, Chambered Balsa, 70s Wing Pintail. It's just friggin' mentally cool. Um, that one's, I think, at 13. And then there's a, a Decat, a Greg Knoll Decat, which I believe is at 13. Hmm. And um, yeah. Good. That's awesome. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Well, congrats. The, the bidding closes real quick. I'll just say the bidding closes Saturday, August 8th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is right around, I don't know, 8 or 9 or 10 in the morning in Australia. My brother who drew that photo or that uh, image that I was just showing you, his birthday is actually August 8th. Wow. What a, what what a, a weird what a, tie-in yeah, coincidence. Yeah, that, that is just... What a great, fascinating segue. Hey, this world is a magical, magical place, Scott, if you just open your eyes and mind to it. If you look behind me, you'll see a unicorn floating by right now. There it is. Yeah. Um, well, dude, Kook College, I'm kind of rebranding to Kook U. Like you, okay. Kook University, Kook okay. U. I like that. I like that. Kook U. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of a lot of email, a lot of correspondence about Kook College. People love Kook U. I the uh, very one first... person didn't like it. There was one that stands out, which is like you guys spent way too much time talking about rules and etiquette and Kook University. Please I, no more. There's there's literally one person that said that, 
And I know I saw that as well, but the vast, vast, I got three dozen messages of people just tripping, laughing. And um, the very first one was like, I could listen to 10 hours of kook you basically. So right. uh, I got a right. couple of, I got email feedback about it. Did you have any comments that you wanted to address before going into emails? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, let me see. I'll, I got one from Rainbow, but I think maybe I'll do Rainbow second. This first one says, hey, lads, listening to the latest episode, I thought I'd chime in about when it's okay to burn people. I don't think it's a question of when it's okay to burn someone, but when it's actually worth burning someone. Much like an argument on Facebook, burning people is pointless. Nobody who has ever been burned has learned a lesson or changed how they act because of it. If social media has taught us anything, it's that people double down and entrench themselves in their own point of view when they're confronted with an aggressive form of reprimand. When, you have, when have you ever yelled at somebody and heard the reply, oh yeah, I see it more clearly now. You are correct. Thank you for your valuable input. It never happens. I don't even bother getting angry anymore. I just go surf somewhere else. Now, I know you'll think, but why should I let the wankers win? Why do they deserve the best waves? And my answer is to both, they don't. They don't win. It takes a lot of anger and ignorance to be a wanker in the first place. Getting angry and aggressive to get waves kills the stoke. They might be pleased that they've gotten their waves, but they aren't having pure fun. Their enjoyment is a weird, perverted sort of enjoyment tainted by a desperate need to feel important or special. People who are greedy and aggressive in the surf just want other people to think they're important, but it never happens for them because of that. They're stuck in the loop of wanting to feel important and never uh, and they never end up feeling that way. They're not winning. Why do they deserve the best waves? They don't. But if you battle with them, you will get sucked into their loop of not having fun and you're not going to have fun. You're missing the point of surfing. Go somewhere else. Have fun. Uh, otherwise, you'll be having a crap time no matter what sort of vengeance you claim by the end of the session. They win by making you have a bad time. Don't give them that power. Anyways, love the show. Cheers, Filthy the Bear. Okay, that was... Uh... That guy, absolutely, Filthy the Bear nailed it. That was a very enlightening email. He, he seems like an enlightened individual. And I can only hope to get to that level of understanding that um, it really is about the ego when, it, when we get down to, um, you know, brass tacks here on that, on burning somebody. And uh, anyway, I, I can't say it any better than he did. He, he absolutely nailed it. That's perfect. I, I agree with him and you. Um, for the most part, but there are like, you're always, if you confront somebody and get entangled in that, you will always downgrade your kind of quality, the quality of your session in life and well-being. However, I do think that it does good. Sometimes there's been times where I've been confronted and the trauma of that confrontation does change my behavior moving forward. And even if I know I'm right, Maybe it was like making a, a turn on the road somewhere and somebody road raged at me. And I'm like, shoot, I know I was right. But if I would have looked left one extra time, I would have noticed that that car was coming. Even though he was speeding, I should be more vigilant about people who are speeding or not who people who are breaking the rules because I could have actually avoided an accident potentially. So there's little details like that where, like he said, is it worth it or not? Because I know I'm going to suffer through this en engagement, but will it potentially, potentially um, modify their behavior? 
He's also right. Most often it won't, but occasionally it will. If it's a rational person, and even if they give you resistance, I think sometimes they do walk away thinking about it and wanting to change, you know, wanting to not have a similar confrontation in the future potentially. So. All right. Fair enough. It's complicated. Yes, it is. (laughs) It's nuanced. Um, Somebody else said snaking and dropping in slash burning are two different things. Snaking is from the inside. You took it when it wasn't yours through some obvious, uh, through some devious behavior and dropping in is from the outside and it comes to intent. By the way, how someone looks in the surf, whether it's one booty um, or GoPro, who cares? Surfing used to be about eccentrics, not shop glamour boys and girls. Wow. Yeah, I think there's something there. I I, I would agree. We, sh- we shouldn't care what somebody looks like in the surf um, because uh, surfers are the worst. And if you're really that involved, um, you need to look at your I- own situation. I got a number of those comments though about defining the differences between snaking, dropping in and burning. Yeah, dude, I've, I've been down this road before. Um, and it is, I think one time on the surfer magazine, um, forums, the, the message board where it's kind of interesting regionally, it changes too, it like up in certain areas in Santa Cruz or wherever this means that, and that doesn't mean this. And down here, maybe this, you know, snaking is different than burning than dropping in and, and it's all kind of the vernacular is regional. And it, it's, again, it's nuanced. Everything's nuanced. Yeah. Um, did you have some or should I go into Rainbow's email? Yeah, just go into Rainbow's. I, I don't really have any. Rainbow always brings the gold, obviously. Um, two days ago, halfway through my unseasonal Northwest swell, I broke that new golden reel rule paddling out to a nice right-hand bank at the south end of my local beach, a stand-up paddleboarder came along from the peak and then inextricably fell right in front of me. His board flicked from under his feet as he fell off the wave. As the guy remounted, I offered up that his board came within one foot of my head in a very conciliatory, hey, let's be careful out here tone. And the guy looked up at me and staunchly just said, that's surfing, huh? Well, 20 minutes later, I was paddling for the shoulder when the local dominator king of SUPs was on his ninth consecutive wave, was riding towards me, and I had plenty of time to easily make it over the shoulder, but instead I deliberately changed my course towards the peak, knowing that the new, that his new nemesis, the kook SUP, was on the inside trying to escape the situation. So the wave hog... Um, looked up, saw the other SUP or panicked, kicked his board out from under his feet at his new nemesis, who uh, now had nowhere to go. He dived off his board, both their boards collided and ended up getting dinged. I sat up, waited for my nemesis's head to emerge from the brine and quickly chimed in with the sweetest words. That's surfing, huh? Then quickly paddled off to let him get a full ear bashing from the other king SUP here. Did I do something wrong here? In my defense, Kook College hadn't been called into session yet. And if it had my t- uh, this time, would I do the same? You bet I would. That interaction was certainly the highlight of my session. <laughs> wow. Rainbow. Getting highlights with confrontation. Did you know Rainbow was so vindictive? <laughs> well, you know, surfing is just a weird deal, man. Crowds, crowds and surfing, it just... Brings out the worst. Yeah. 
Um, well, I support Rainbow in his efforts. That guy had it coming. Well, it's interesting that you read that, right? Because we got this really long sort of essay. I, it's an essay. Thank you. Yeah, it's an essay from somebody. I think he lives in Australia. Five pages long. He's asked us to read this. What are your thoughts on this? Is this going to just be way too long? No, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really salient and uh, relatable and a good lesson for everybody. So do you want me to read this? If you're willing to. I liked it. I read it. I liked it. Okay, I'll read it, but uh, okay, I'll, I'll do my best. You don't have to. We're under no obligation to read it. I know. I mean, I mean it's well written. It's a good it. read. It I just like seems it. odd to read five pages of, uh, let's give it a try. If I failed, break in. Okay. Okay, here we go. This is from, wasn't this, isn't this, this was a reader that sent this in. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, fi I'll find his name while you're, uh, while you're reading. It says Ditch Gravy. It's yeah, yeah, Ditch Gravy, ditch that's his name. The, again, it's called The Naked Ankle. So I'm going to do my best here. In recent years, I've discovered the joy of surfing leashless. The act feels freeing, like I'm breaking the shackles of kookdom and stepping into a whole new world of confidence and bravado. Sure, I have to paddle in for my board a few times per session, but this is quickly justified by acknowledging the increased levels of fitness that going to the sand gives me, not to mention the fantastic awareness of flying free and pushing the risk-reward ratio just that little bit higher. There are downsides, of course, board damage being one, particularly when surfing close to rock ledges and reefs. Another drawback is the inevitable scowls I get from protective parents when retrieving my surf-bound, sand-bound surfboard from the, the near miss with their castle-building youngsters. But perhaps the most insidious deficiency of surfing sand's leash is the big-headedness that seems to accompany it. There's a certain arrogance that goes hand in hand with the surfer who chooses to expose their ankle amongst the local elite, flying in the face of custom. And I can talk about this because I've done it. It was a beautiful winter morning as I drove down to my local Sydney point break. Expecting only a couple feet of clean offshore fun, I decided to leave my leash at home. Didn't even bring it. The day before it was perfect for bareback board riding and the forecast for today looked no different. Imagine my surprise when I pull up front and see five to six feet of clean groundswell pulsing across the point with a solid crew of local surfers already amongst it. There were barrels. Spray was pluming. Gaggling spectators were lined up in the morning sun sipping lattes. And now for the conundrum. Clearly, I should have a leash. By all measures, risk factors are now much higher than anticipated, probably too high. But that leash is all the way back home, and I am here now. I was surfing here for days without a leash, and nary a thing went wrong. And well, hell, I'm capable. Besides, the clean, predictable pumping of this point swell will only make surfing easier. To top it off, 
I smoke, I spoke myself platitudes along the lines of, quote, won't they just respect the hell out of you when they see you threading across the ledge, untethered, fearless, and free, unquote. But mostly I was just lazy. So I suited up and ran out to the point. Now I should point out that this way breaks across several shallow submerged rocks and in front of an ocean pool. The crowds are dense and very territorial. I have been surfing here for years, but having never joined any surfing fraternity, I still consider myself an outsider. When the old boys paddle past me, I nod and usher them through. Now, here I was, sitting dry-haired on the farthest ledge. I was alone out here as the tide was too high, making this ledge near impossible to beat the pool section. Anyone with good surfing sense had paddled further in to where the main ledge was now flaring. Right about now, my right ankle is feeling extremely naked. A set arrives. I am in pole position and have zero excuses not to take it. With heart in mouth, I turn and paddle hard. Leaping to my feet, I execute a nerve-wracking takeoff, followed by a desperate bottom turn towards safety. The pool ledge looms close, causing huge backwashes to claw at me like white demons, bucking and bending what could only be described as an ugly, ugly wave. There's no kicking out now. The commitment has been made, and so the consequences must be paid. The wave approaches the main ledge, a heaving slab that can offer amazing tube rides on the right day, deliverance on the wrong day. My moment exhausted by chop and foam, I have no choice but to stand there and take a beating in front of everyone. I stay underwater a little longer than necessary and then surface casually looking about for my dejected board. Inevitably, it had been launched straight across the rocks, a good 50 meters of crag, crevice, and barnacle. With all the grace I can muster, I swim directly across for the rocks and in a deliberate show of panache, time my escape with the crashing waves, hoping, hopping smoothly across the rocks to my battered board. Upon inspection, I can instantly see several serious gashes on the nose, tail, rails, and bottom. By all accounts, this should be the end of my surf. But the surf is pumping. And I've got pretty, and I got off pretty lightly on that last wipeout, really. And besides, I'm part of the elite now. I don't turn tail and run at the first sign of danger. I live for this. I eat it up. Concealing my trembling legs, I hop back out to the main ledge jump-off spot. Time to mix it up with the big boys. Surprisingly, I don't encounter any eye-rolling or head-scratching from the locals. It was just another moment in a session packed with action. Dudes were getting barreled and kooks were getting slammed. It was a spectacle. And I took my time, lurking inside now, picking off a couple in-between waves and riding them through to the end. Without incident, I felt somewhat redeemed. But those sets are looking pretty tasty. Some of them are even rolling through unridden. And as a less talented local fudges the takeoff or gets lipped in a barrel. My confidence now topped up. I approach the outside pack. As I paddle, I lift my naked ankles up and out of the water. A display of brash superiority. I could almost hear the gasps and feel the respect radiating around the lineup. The set comes, it looks good, really good. It rears up like a wild Brumby, proud and raw. 
The pack scrambles and jostles a spontaneous movement of group consciousness, reorganizing itself, selecting, and eventually gifting the priority to the appropriate surfer. However, in this case, the surfer was, how to put this, a bit past his prime, perhaps. I'd seen him earlier in the morning waddling across the rocks to jump off. He was someone I'd seen before, of course, in my youth. Back then, he was fit and fearless and commanded the respect of every surfer in town. But looking at him now, he seemed a little soft around the edges. As he made his claim for this wave, there was no denying it was his wave. I watched with concern as he appeared to be paddling in molasses. His face was red and labored. He battled the offshore breeze, which was threatening to steal the wave from his clutches. I decided to paddle alongside just in case. The lip began to feather, ripped at by the cold westerly wind. I watched him muscling his way into the wave like a brute, unable to concede, unable to admit defeat. He was late, very late. As he clambered to his feet, the wave warped and spewed angrily at him. In that split-second moment, that fraction of a fluttering eye that we so often get in the crowded water, I made a marginal call, and that call was go. As I turned and committed myself to the wave, I kept the lumbering shadow of the rightful surfer in the corner of my eye. As it turned out, his years of brave mastery surfing the spot were still with him, and decades old, finely tuned muscle memory were once again recalled into action. As I dropped blatantly over the ledge, I watched in horror as he stomped the takeoff, wrenched himself up under the hood, and proceeded to get pitted. Aghast, and now in free fall, I flailed wildly in the breeze, scrambling to exit the wave. And as I fell clumsily on my ass, I heard the fat but sure-footed local shriek hideously from the foam ball, What are you doing? I stayed underwater a little longer that time, as long as my shallow breath would allow. There was no escaping it now. I fucked up. Clearly and brazenly, I was guilty. Back at the bubbling surface, I came face to face with my victim. Amid the slurred expletives and spit, I was given two directives. One, go in. Two, never come back. I immediately followed directive one. I retrieved my battered tetherless board, sheepishly got in my car and drove away. But I didn't follow directive two. I did go back. Months later, another bluebird morning, too good to pass up. And there he was sitting in the elite pack, picking off waves like a washed up pro. I figured I was safe. Seasons had passed. Surely he couldn't remember me. Surely his bong-adled brain must have forgotten the incident. Oi, you! Who, me? Yeah, you, go in. No waves for you. I'll never know whose face was redder. But I nodded my acknowledgement and paddled into the safety of the beachy. So there you have it, folks. My takeaways... Choose your battles. Don't be a fool. Don't be lazy. Respect life and limb, especially that of the locals. Don't, ju don't judge an overweight book by its cover. 
And for God's sakes, always carry a spare leash. End of story by Ditch Gravy. Good read, Scott. Very good read. Um, so many lessons to be gleaned from this. Number one, I support the leashless thing. Uh, like he said, like you said last time, it fitness is kind of key. Like it will keep you fit. You will do a lot more swimming and just a lot more work. I feel like you actually mentally, once you're up and riding, it also makes you a better surfer somehow. It doesn't inhibit your surfing. You would think, oh, I'm going to be more cautious now because there's no leash, but that's not the way it works. You somehow execute things that you might've given up on um, had you been wearing a leash. That's my first takeaway. Biggest takeaway is hubris is the problem. Arrogance will always lead to these bad decision makings. And so once you do that first thing that I said, which is you start feeling proud and because you're surfing leashless and you're doing well, that's immediately when you fall. You, and you actually fall even farther because you propped yourself up higher. And I've had numerous lessons in my life of that exact thing happening where I'm having like a flawless road trip or whatever it is. And I'm just like, now I'm in autopilot. I'm not even thinking anymore. And that's when the mistakes happen. So um, unfortunately for him, it all happened. It all coalesced on a really, really good day. But uh, arrogance, pride comes before the fall. Yeah, you know, um, that certainly has been the, the case throughout history. And uh, my feeling on on this particular story, he did a great job. He, he's a great writer. And you know what, what I've noticed is that, and maybe this, this is a massive generalization, but it seems to me that from, from what I read, from, from the emails that I get from people from Australia and from New Zealand, um, they're just better educated. I don't think Americans are very, I don't think they're very good at English. And I'm, I'm in a prime example of that, to be honest with you. This is uh, really well written. And when you think about like long Tom on, there's a bunch of really good writers from Australia. Yeah. And I think it's because they have a really good educational system like this. Like they actually are better educated than, than we are here in the United States. Yeah. And again, massive generalization. I get it, but this is just really well written. I don't disagree with that at all. And I think we talked about it a few weeks ago saying that they're um, Australians in particular, their use of language is just more colorful. It's funnier. Yeah. It's more kind of, um, I don't know, robust. I can't even think of the word cause I'm an American, but it's like well, a more, it's a more robust true. use of. That's sort of on a, like a, a colloquial, like parking lot vernacular type of level, but he, the actual ability to write this out and describe this yeah. is, is, is really well done. You know, um, I made a couple of minor changes just to my own, sure. my own way I, I read, but um, I didn't change much. And how about this line? Surely his bong adled brain, bong adled brain is the name of my new band. That is a fabulous <laughs> phrase there. It's but to good. get back to, to leashlessness, uh, to surfing without a leash, um, to the people that say, Hey, it's dangerous. And I, we did get some emails about that from last week. I got one or two. I'm sure you did too. Hey, no matter what surfing leashless is lame. Cause it's crowded out there. 
my comment to that is always, you know what? Don't surf there. If you see guys without leashes and you're worried about it, go down the beach. Yeah. That's obviously not for you. Surfing's yeah. dangerous. And it's just part of it. And it's, I, I would take a lineup of 30 surfers without leashes any day over a lineup of 30 surfers with leashes. Yep. Now, the idea that, that this guy was surfing at a very hollow sand bottom tube um, I will say that when I surf my local beach break and it's definitely pulling in barrels, I will wear a leash and that's for my own wave count. Cause I know I'm not going to, I'm probably going to only make two out of 10 because the, the nature of the, the tubes here, they're pretty close. They close out a lot. So I'll put on a leash. No problem. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, now if I'm at someplace like Puerto Escondido, um, I won't wear a leash cause you're basically right in front of the, you know, it's, it's just as quick to just grab your board. Uh, so anyway, um, well, anyway, well, there, well, there's a right. danger. There's a danger that comes with the leash as well in that the board stays very close to you. So especially if you're surfing shore break or something like that, you kind of yeah. want the board to get away from you as quick as possible. And then you can get to the beach real quickly to pick it up. Um, the other detail though, that I wanted to ask you about, how do you feel about, the older local telling him a go in and B never come back the go in part. I get, would you ever heed somebody's advice to never come back? Um, would I, yeah, kind of depends who it is. I mean, does it like, well, for instance, if I'm at, if I'm a Howley and I'm say I'm surfing someplace on the West side of Oahu, say just, just west of Makaha. So. <laughs> this is awfully specific. Well, if you know, you know. And it's not really a secret, but I'm not going to say the spot. Or even let's just say I'm at Makaha. Let's say I'm at Makaha. And like Uncle Dwayne DeSoto or somebody like that is like, dude, go in and never come back here. I'm probably never going to come back to Makaha. <laughs> Because I don't want to, it's not worth me the, having to look over my shoulder and having the wrath of the Makaha locals come down on me. Like, we told you not to come back here. Why are you here? Now, I'm not saying they would ever do that. But I'm saying there's certain spots where if somebody told me to never come back, I would probably never come back. I would probably be okay just going somewhere else. You know okay. what I mean? But in I'm California, gonna... I'm not sure that I would, I would just be like, whatever, you know, like. Let me, let but, me paint like, you know, a more specific some... scenario. Okay. Because in the Macaw example, it's easy to not go back there because you don't live there and right. it's just like, and you have a bunch of other options. Right. And in order for somebody to say that to you, you would have to do something pretty outrageously egregious. Right. The example that Ditch Gravy gave happens all the time. That wasn't like an outright, he didn't um, yell at that guy's daughter or punch the guy's wife in the face. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. he accidentally burned a dude. I don't know he if accidentally. accidentally. Well, he, he made a judgment call and his judgment call was wrong. So yes, right. he deserves to be sent in for that. So the, the question that I'm asking you is, if it's one of your local beaches, if it's within a 30 minute drive and it's a beach that maybe you don't surf every single day and some local who does surf there every day tells you to never come back because you made a bad judgment call and you dropped in on him. Would you heed that advice? Um, 
Well, I'll kind of do what Ditch Gravy did, which is kind of take a break on the yeah. spot for a few months and then assume that, look, it's water under the bridge. He's probably over it. And then in this scenario, Ditch paddled back out and the local immediately spotted him and, and pointed him in. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't go in in that scenario. I'd stay on the inside. I'd give him respect and like stay on the inside and get some small waves. But I'd be, if he really wanted to have a talk, I would explain that. I'd be like, look, my mistake, my judgment call was wrong three or four months ago. I took three or four months off out of respect for you. I'm here again. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's that just makes, unreasonable. That yeah. But I respect the local for saying what he said and doing what he's doing because he probably does clear the lineup that way. It probably works for most people, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's funny, the old salty local guy, they do a lot of good. Like, there's guys like that where I surf that I'm so glad that they're the ones that are loud and vocal, you know, because I don't want to be that guy. And, and they'll, they'll do a lot just by paddling out to kind of settle the lineup down. It does clear the lineup for sure. Even if it doesn't clear it, it settles it down. It sets up sort of a, a, a you know, a, a hierarchy and a lineage. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mean clear it by fully clearing, but there are people that just knowing that that confrontation is a possibility, they'll go surf somewhere else. Yeah. So, well, thanks, Ditch Gravy. That was fun. Again, yeah. lots of lessons in there. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. And we will continue with Kook U, um, and we'll try to bring one or two things to the table each and every week if we can. Fully agree. Um, what else you got? Switching subjects. Have you seen the Survival League that was is being pimped on Beach Grit? It's basically – it's they have these leagues in football. And I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're basically they, – they used to be called suicide leagues. They're also called survivor leagues. And you basically pick one team each week to win one of their games. And then you, if, if that team that you picked won – you go on to the next week, you just but you can't pick the same team. And eventually, you whittle it down to one winner. That's what they're doing here on Beach Grit with this thing called the Survival League. You pick one surfer for each event. Like, let's say I'll pick Chloe and Dino. And Chloe advances through past the round of 32. Then I, then I survive. And I mm -hmm. can get to go on to the next week. It doesn't matter how he does in that event. You just have to get through to the round of through the round of 32. I have then survived. And then the next week I pick another surfer and I can never pick Chloe and Dino again for the rest of the season. So um, I might pick, I don't know, um, Kanoa Igarashi. And Kanoa that next week, the next event, excuse me, advances through past the round of 32 and I'm still surviving. Then the next week, say I pick Connor Coffin. And Connor Coffin loses, doesn't get past the round of 32. Well, then I'm done. I'm out for the year. I'm, I'm no longer in play. I lose, and others continue to go on. And at the end, there's usually just one guy remains standing, and that guy wins the money. They're doing this uh, at Beach Grit, and it's a kind of a simple – it's a very simple way for people to get involved in – um, having an incentive to watch and be engaged in, in the competition. And it's, a, and it's, it's fun. So anyway, I just thought, so what, I'd bring are, it what up. are the events that they're, that you're picking guys for since we don't have a championship? Oh, they're, they're going to start it up with, you know, um, 
pipeline in December. Oh, I see, I see, I see. in that same article, I think it was Derek Riley or Chaz or whoever wrote it said, hey, we've got some inside info that pipeline, pipe, pipeline masters in December might not even happen. And they sort of said, wait and see. It looks like they're, they're doing a little bit of research on that. Um, you use the term research very loosely. <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? I was surprised that they said they, uh, they used the term. They said, we're, we're doing some more digging. Yeah, digging is but, appropriate. Um, yeah. So firstly, I don't think that they're going to run in December. We talked about this a little bit last week Yeah. as we teased kind of the new WSL format. Yeah. What, I mean, the odds of being – this COVID yeah. thing, we're in for a much longer haul than yeah. anybody anticipated. And there's really no uh, end on the, on the horizon as far as I can tell right now. And things are just murkier and murkier, essentially. When, when I say there's no end on the horizon, yeah. I mean not short end or long end. It's not like they can even say two years from now we'll be at this point. It's just every month there's more questions. There's some answers, but there's more and more questions every single month and zero yeah. definitiveness. So I, I don't see there being any possibility that we run in December, or I don't see any possibility that we have surfers from around the globe fly into an island and run an event with an infrastructure that also flies in from around the globe. That seems yeah. insanely insane to yeah. even propose it. Hey, I heard something yesterday that kind of is interesting. So surfers in general, especially professional surfers, they're in tip top shape. They're healthy. They're young. They're, um, they're just, yeah, they're just like pretty much specimens as far as their health. Right. And I heard something yesterday about the COVID-19 thing that, if you really look at it, it's sort of attacking the unhealthy, the overweight, the diabetic, the American, the fat American, like the classic fat American that eats along the I-95 corridor every day and is just like Big Mac, Whopper, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, just fast food, filthy diet, not in good shape, doesn't run and surf like you and I. Surfers in general, um, like I said, are healthy. So this guy's take that uh, that I was talking to was like, Hey man, this thing is killing people. Yeah. But you know, it's killing overweight Americans. Hmm. And then he pointed to Europe because look at Europe, their death rates way down. Have they done anything that much different than us? I mean, as far as a lockdown, uh, I don't know. I mean, each country in Europe's probably a little different, but we do know that when you fly into Europe, as soon as you get off the plane, you notice who the Americans are and who the Europeans are. Europe is very skinny and healthy, relatively speaking, although they do smoke a lot. What are your thoughts on this idea that the people that are dying from this are basically people that are unhealthy to begin with? And if you're healthy, like, say, pro football players, pro baseball players, professional surfers, surfers in general, marathon runners, yeah, you might get it, but you're going to get a really bad case of, quote, unquote, the flu and get over it. Uh, I, again, I'm not saying that's the case. I don't want to sound like a naive, ignorant uh, human being here. But this guy was telling me that, and it kind of made me go, oh, that's an interesting take. Yeah, my I do subscribe to that largely, but it's not we need to be careful with the public platform because and we're not doctors. So I'd be apprehensive to say like, yeah, if you're healthy, you then are not subject to some of the more severe versions of this. Right. However, I, agree. I do think I, agree. I, I do think not enough has been said about the importance of immunity. Like having a strong immune system 
getting exercise and even during quarantine and during this time that we're in getting exercise, getting sunlight, staying fit, eating right will absolutely position you to fend off all viruses and diseases better than if you weren't. So COVID COVID is unique in that it's new. It's a novel coronavirus, but um, I don't think the solution is 100% quarantine, lockdown, and lack of exposure to this thing. If you look at all viruses across time, uh, exposure is what actually quells the virus. Yeah. So it comes, the virus always comes out super strong and lethal. And as contagion slowly seeps out, the lethalness of it also dissipates. Yeah. So we're going to get to a point where everybody's had a version of it and now nobody or very, very few people die of it. Kind of yes. like, kind of like the flu. And, and the there'll, vaccine, be treatment. there'll be treatments. There'll be treatments. It might the not be a vaccine, but there'll be treatments. But I will make a bold prediction and say that those who have not been exposed to any germs or viruses in the last four months are probably the most susceptible to the severest versions of what they then next get. And yeah. those of us who have had you know, exposure to things and built up immunities and tolerances and also got exercise and sunlight and all that sort of stuff are going to be less vulnerable to those things. So I don't want to sound too cavalier and I'm not giving advice for anybody else or how they should live their life. And the worst thing would be if I, through that cavalier thing that I just explained, contracted a, you know, non-threatening version of it, but then gave it to my 86 year old vulnerable grandmother. So there's a bunch of gray area that I can't quite. So everybody needs to make their own decisions and also make your own decisions for your local area, state or community that you live in, because it's different. What New York experienced in the opening of this is very different than what we experienced in Southern California. Yeah. Um, One final thought though on health I have a friend uh, I was just talking to yesterday who had a, he's friends with a family. Everybody in the family got it. Mom, da- uh, dad, wife, and son. The dad is a triathlete and super healthy and fit. And he got it worse than his wife and kid did. Hmm. So despite being the healthiest in the family, yeah. he was so sick that he like couldn't even feed and feed himself. Like he oh couldn't God. lift his hand to his mouth, oh you know? So, and his wife got it and, was able to kind of take care of the rest of the family while she had it. So there That's are, horrible. there are kind of, um, I don't know. Anomalies. A, yeah. Anomalies is what it is. But by the way, stay fit, healthy and get exercise and sunlight. And, and wear a mask for the, not for you, for somebody else. No, seriously. Like for your 86 year old grandmother, for my grandparent, for my father, my mother, for yeah. the elderly in our communities. Yeah. And frankly, for the ones, for all the susceptible, members of our, you know, the ones that are. In I, I would say I, I agree with it, but I would also say exercise some logic with all of these things because sure, wear a mask, but have you been wearing that mask for the last two months? Because if so, you probably contract, you, it probably has coronavirus on it from when you went to Costco and now you're bringing that mask in and putting it on the counter next to me, like either use disposable masks, wash your masks. Yes. Follow these general rules also exercise some common sense. You don't need to wear your mask while driving. That's nonsensical. You know what I mean? Like there's so much, 
that's the problem. Speaking in <laughs> platitudes and trying to give these general statements, you have to do it because people are dumb and they need guidance, but also exercise some common sense. Somewhere out there, Jeff Devine took some pictures of me wearing a mask surfing at HTs or, or Lance's or somewhere. Why were and you wearing I, a mask? We were over in Indo during the um, SARS. Oh. And, and everyone was like all the Asians were wearing masks at the airport. SARS was happening. I think it was like 2003 or something. And Devine's like, let's get some photos of you wearing a mask. So I just wore a mask and, and surfed and he took some pictures and it would be cool to grab those from him. But you and, were wearing it just as like a commentary on what was happening socially at that moment. It, it wasn't was more like concerned stupid, about No, no, it was more like stupid American making fun of mask wearers. You know, yes, it was yes, kind of yes, lame. Yes. It was actually quite ignorant, but the imagery was kind of, would be kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. It would be in a, in a stupid, in a stupid look at me type of way. It would be hey, relevant everybody, to what we're talking look at about. Me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, did you want to do a deeper dive into the WSL thing? Yeah, WSL update. All right, let's do it. We talked a little bit about this last week. Um, WSL, of course, announced basically a complete reset and changes for the uh, 2020 season's over and going into 2021, they have a bunch of stuff. Basically, the details, I'll real quick go over these real as a summary. The 2021 CT season starts this December in 2020 in Hawaii with the Pipe Masters for the men and for with Honolulu Bay for the women. Beyond that, all of the CTs will be double headers. In other words, the men and the women will surf at the same spot. The Hossager France event is going to be cut. No France event for the 2021 schedule. G-Land is on for the 2021 schedule with the men and the women. Again, men and women at all these events except for Pipe. The, uh, 19, the 2021 World Champions elected via a five-person, one-day surf-off with the lower seeds competing for a chance to face the top two and a title deciding best of three heats finale. And then the 2022 season focuses on a beginning in February, probably at Pipeline, to September. And in 2022, there's also a cut, which evicts 12 men and six women from the CT at the mid-season point of the season. Five events in, we cut in half, which is very interesting. Yeah. I think these are largely good changes. There are a lot of things that we've been talking about for years and years and years. I think yes. ultimately they're aiming towards fewer surfers on tour, especially after that cut in 2022. And there will be a higher quality um, surfer on tour in general, even at that first part of the season, because the elimination, uh, like the way that the rounds are structured and also the challenger series will position better surfers to kind of get pushed into the CT. I'm also okay with France. I will miss France. I love that as an event, but there was a redundancy between France and Portugal. The waves are somewhat similar or they offer the same kind of highlights and they're moving Portugal to 
earlier in the season, I believe. And they're, they're changing it in the schedule. So ultimately, I think they're going to be more likely to get great waves in Portugal. And if you do that, if I had to pick Portugal or France, maybe I'd pick France instead of Portugal, but they kind of represent the same thing. So I'm fine having one and not the other. G-Land is a huge boon. Like, I think that is an amazing choice and we'll be thrilled to get that back. I'm sad that we're not seeing it this year because it was on the schedule this year. Um, I could do without Surf Ranch. We've done hours on why we don't need Surf Ranch on tour. And then the final detail, Pipeline moving to February, I think is actually a good move. Of course, we love ending at Pipeline, and so that'll be a bummer. But the odds of them getting good waves are better in February than they are in December. So I'm okay. Kicking off the season with a bang could be amazing. That could be a great move. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I was just kind of looking online to see which countries are not allowing USA citizens uh, into their countries. I'm, I, I am, I'm having problems pulling up the correct info, but um, I was wondering if France was one of those. It's just like, you know what? No, no USA travelers allowed. I, what I saw a couple of weeks ago was generalized as Western Europe. And then it said that means Italy and Spain and blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I would imagine France would be in that mix. Yeah, um, for sure. But you would think Portugal would be too. That decision, yeah. the decision of which to run the event in probably doesn't have to do with COVID as much as... Cost. Portugal's way cheaper. Yeah. And the waves are pretty damn good. I agree with you though. France is, France is such a good, it's such a good surf culture. It's such a good wave. The waves are insanely good. The culture's thriving and has been since the 60s. It's just a, it's a beach hamlet. It's, and there's a ton of surfboard manufacturers there. Uh, it's pretty, it's an interesting move. Yeah, it is. I wonder what's really behind it. I guess it's what you're saying. Like, look, we've got two similar spots on tour. Let's just get one of the, one, get rid of one of the European spots. France is more expensive. Let's do it in Portugal. If you were going to pick just one of the spots, it seems like you could justify France more than Portugal. So it must be a numbers thing. Not only is Portugal less expensive, but the government is uh, probably supplementing that. I know their government, like yeah. they always have the mayor of Paniche down and like yeah. seem, even some of the sponsors, I feel like were government entities. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably what it is. A bunch of the cost is covered. Yeah. Look, if you've got a government that's like bending over backwards to bring your tour, you, you're all about it. You're stoked. You're stoked to work with people that want you there. Yeah. And France can be difficult, very difficult. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the final, the kind of finals day that they've outlined? Well, we talked about this last week. I, I'm okay with it, but I don't want it to be at lowers. Right. I want it to be at, a, at waves of consequence. Yeah. You know, like somewhere that that puts the that makes a champion a champion that forges a champion. I don't want it at a weak surf spot. It needs to be where it's just heavy. You know, yeah. And so that's my main thing. We all want to see it go down in heavy waves. That's that's what Pipe always did. That's why Pipe was one of the reasons Pipe was so exciting. The more often than not, it was a heavy situation. Do you, um, do you have any concern that 
an inferior surfer could win the world title based on the structure of it? Inferior surfer? I don't think there's any inferior surfers, you know, in the top 10. Okay. You know, um, I don't know. Who are you referring to exactly? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you want obviously the best surfer across the course of the year to end up being the world champ. And the fact that the world champ is, uh, you know, crowned on the final day is could leave that an opening for something like that to happen. Basically, the number five surfer could be could win the championship at the end of the day. They obviously have to earn their way into the fifth position throughout the entire season to get into that final day. But, you know, in this past year, Kaloe and Dino could win over Idolo. And I don't think that anybody would reflect on 2019 or 18, I guess, or 19. Yeah. And say that Kaloe was the standout surfer of the year. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. Those are hypotheticals. I do know that if in September you've got, you know, you've cut it down to the five guys, right? And I mean, theoretically, I think in a perfect world, you could have the man on man that decides the world title, the best three out of five. You could just fly those two guys down to Port Escondido for a week and have, because look, we know that basically Puerto's offshore from like seven to nine 30 or 10. And then it turns onshore and everyone goes in and they're done for the day unless you go surf the point or whatever. So you've got three hours for an entire week to have the best three out of five heat. Mm-hmm. I think they should just do it at Port Escondido. I mean, cause that gives you the thumping, insane, heart wrenching surf. It's a killer surf community. They would love it. It would be good for them. Be good for the WSL. I would love to just see that go down there. Let's just have the best three out of five heats between Felipe Toledo and Gabe Medina or whoever it is. Okay. In Puerto Escondido. Let's apply that to what they've currently outlined. Um, And by the way, that's a possibility because for listeners, if we didn't say it already, this finals day format is going to be at a different event, a different venue each year. It's going to be kind of a roving venue thing. And they haven't determined where it will be in 2021. So we could influence them to do it at Puerto Escondido. However, let me ask you this. The men and women are going to be surfing the same spot. So how will the women fare at Puerto Escondido? I don't know. Let's find out. Does I'm this sure limit more can charge? Does this limit uh, by doing the men and women at the same spot? Does that limit the fullest expression of what they can offer to each individual tour? Well, if if you have to limit yourself based on gender, then you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Like anytime you have to limit yourself, you're setting yourself up to be limited. You're failing. I think that their options for where they can run the men will be different uh, considering that the women's tour is going to be surfing there as well. Right. Which is unfortunate because that basically takes out all the heavy spots that we want to see. I mean, the the women, they haven't um, had a women's event at Pipeline other than a specialty event. So that would be, and even this year, they're going to, they said they're going to do the women at Honolulu instead of Pipeline. So that eliminates that. 
they're actually, the women are surfing Chopu this year for the first time since 2006. So I think that offers a lot of opportunity for them to perform. Um, but I ultimately, I could see them electing or selecting a spot like lowers because of this, you know? I do or, too, and I just roll my eyes, man. I know, I it's a misstep. roll my eyes. It's a total misstep. And I think your argument for uh, Puerto Escondido is pretty sound. Same. Your argument for Porto is sound, though. That'd be an amazing event. It would be epic. Every morning we could wake up and see one of the heats, and there'd be three out of five heats. Yeah. I mean, there'd be a heat every day. Yeah. You got, you got a whole week to run three heats. Yeah. It would be awesome. Yeah. And I think the women could pull it off. But again, this idea that, that they have it at lowers or they have it at the surf ranch or they have it at some spot that's just not a heavy wave. It pulls a lot of the gusto, a lot of the fire, a lot of the excitement, a lot of the buildup out of this quote unquote Super Bowl, you know, yeah. the, the end of the year heat it's got to be a can't say it enough i can't be emphatic enough that it has to be at a at a heavy situation sunset would be the ultimate challenge sunset would be great sunset would be the ultimate challenge because we haven't had a ct there so it would it's kind of like yes it's a big challenging wave it's unruly it's hard to suss out and also, you guys haven't been surfing it for the last 10 years. It would be awesome. It's the ultimate uh, venue. Sunset in September, though. I don't know. Right. It, it actually gets, gets waves in September. It does. Right. But they'd have to fudge the date a little bit. Maybe be more like October when they run the XL. Yeah. Um, somebody sent this thought in relation to the WSL. They said, NASCAR is having a 2020 season. Thank God. How they're doing it appears to be in COVID compliance and the fans still get to be entertained. We get to watch our drivers do their stuff around the U.S. even if there are no bodies in the stands. Crews and drivers are performing and apparently keeping COVID safe. NASCAR seems to be do, doing something right because they are in fact racing. How are they dealing with traveling and getting to all the races? They put in on the fast track, um, I'm sorry, they put it on the fast track and held races wherever they could. Okay. So wherever is kind of available for people to get to is where they're holding the races rather than the ideal venues. She goes on to say NASCAR has also has a point system with a championship race at the end. I believe much like the structure you guys are talking about might work for the WSL. Personally, I think it might be good comparison study. Um, because there are some parallels between the two point systems. NASCAR's program might work. Uh, for the WSL, or it might at least get them through the 2020 lull. The truth is it would be a shame to disconnect professional surfing from the momentum that they've had up until this point. The backlash will be widespread. Surf industry retail, for one, will take a big hit and top this off with all of the COVID hit that it's already taken. But I agree with you guys, the ball has definitely been dropped by the WSL hard and it's rolling under the table and somebody needs to pick it up before the Olympics happen or they can kind of forget about all the momentum that they've built up until this point. I think that's kind of a compelling, um, I mean, it, yeah, it's drawing but, off a lot of our thoughts, but the obvious thing she's missing there is that NASCAR is an internal national tour. Yeah. And we're talking about an international tour, which is 
a massive change, a massive difference. So the WSL, by the way, did introduce this Grand Slam format. They'd be doing an Australian Grand Slam. It's a novelty series consisting of two specialty events for CT, Australian rated surfers, um, yeah. this spring. So that's an interesting thing. I appreciate they are doing what she's, what our listener Tamara is suggesting in that message, which is picking up the ball. We don't have time to wait. We can't let this ball roll too far away. So let's come up with something. I think they're also not noticing uh, that Australia announced the largest number of new cases, I think the same week that they announced this thing, the Grand Slam format, the largest number of, okay. They announced the largest number of cases since the pandemic began and Victoria is copying the worst of it. Queensland and West Oz are apparently safe at the moment, but active cases are popping up um, and domestic travel restrictions will certainly be enforced with those hotspots. So there's going to be a lot to navigate for the WSL, even with this modified format. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot going on. I'm just looking at these nations that aren't allowing uh, U.S. citizens into their countries. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it's like you were saying a couple of weeks ago, it's just a moving target. Each, each yeah. country's different. It's just yeah, constantly changing. Um, speaking of changing, subject change. Are you familiar with um, – oh. Check out my shirt, bro. Scott's showing off his, his uh, chest muscles to me. F COVID-19. What does the F stand for? Fark. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you familiar with Murph the surf? Yeah. Isn't he like, wasn't he like a, a notorious bank robber? Jewel thief. Jewel thief. Right. Jack Roland Murphy. Yeah. We're deep in, we're digging down into the archives for this I like story. It. I like it. Um, I've spent my last week obsessed with Murph the Surf. Really? Yeah. Um, the podcast network, Wondry, who's done Dirty John and Dr. Death and all these really um, great investigative podcasts. Yeah. They're doing a series on Murph the Surf, and it actually uh, it's a nine part series, and it airs tomorrow. Episode what's it, one. What's the podcast called? I think it's actually called. You'll find it by searching Murph the Surf. But episode one goes live tomorrow. Um, the podcast producer reached out to me last week, and because he's doing his own PR basically for the series, yeah. so yeah. I I interviewed him, and I'm going to publish an episode on Surf Splendor with him tomorrow but he sent me all nine episodes in advance. So I burned through them in the week and then prepped for the interview and interviewed him. So I did a deep dive into this, Cool. but, but dude, it is crazy. Jack Murphy was like an East coast national surfing champ. And he started surfing in the forties in California, ended up on the East coast, was building boards, had like a surfboard <laughs> manufacturing shop on the East coast. What are you laughing yeah. at? I'm just reading. I'm reading the Wikipedia thing on him. He's an ordained minister now. This He's working guy, with inmates and in Jack Murphy. This guy is a freak of nature. He's genius level IQ. Yeah. He was um, acrobatic with the Flying Walunda brothers when he was young. He uh, He's a convicted murderer. I'm getting to that. Oh, Thanks sorry. for spoiling the lead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Get to the meat, man. So, but it's, it's fascinating to know that he was this genius prodigy as a child. He played violin, got a scholarship because of his violin, national champion, surfer, board builder, all this stuff, then gets mixed up in a life of crime and successfully pulls off the biggest jewel heist in American history at that point, which was three jewels from the JP Morgan collection that were quite literally priceless. People always say, oh, this is priceless. These jewels couldn't even be insured because the insurance company could not appraise them because there was no other stones like them. So those were at the National History Museum in New York and Jack and another guy, part of his crime syndicate out of Boston and Miami, which is where they were living, went up to New York and actually successfully stole those jewels. Ultimately, they got tracked down and uh, did jail time for that. And then afterwards got caught up in some other um, heist where two girls ended up getting murdered. And Jack and another guy were on the boat and they claimed that a third male actually did uh, committed the murders, but that third male was never named. No witnesses ever saw him. And Jack ultimately got um, found guilty in the murder of those women and served, I think 20 or 30 years in prison for that murder, for those murders, got out through kind of a failure of the system essentially. And he sends Uh, changed his life. He found God in prison and is now doing like prison ministry, but he's 82 years old, sharp as a tack, super dynamic. Like these, these podcast producers went and spent a week with him in Florida and he ran them into the ground in terms of energy. He's like, they were doing eight hour interviews a day and he would then want to go out and drink all night long after that. And the producers were like, dude, (laughs) we need, we need to go relax. And, and then he's up the next morning doing his prison ministry, like fascinating figure and a fascinating podcast series. So, um, look again, that'll go live tomorrow. I'm, I'm looking forward 29th. to it. I'm looking forward to it. I want to make sure I, I did Google it. I didn't see, I, I Googled Murph the surf podcast and nothing came up. It'll, so it's produced by Wondry and USA Today. USA Today, the news media outlet, part of their sports division is now doing podcasts. And so you'll be able to find it. Actually, season one was called Snitch. So if you subscribe to Snitch, or I'm sorry, The Sneak, it might be The Sneak. Nathan Scott is the podcaster's name. Anyways, okay. as of tomorrow, you'll be able to find it with Smurf the Surf. Okay. Just like by searching my podcast directory or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, exactly. cool. But fascinating figure who I had heard a little bit about the Murph the Surf guy because I had heard about that um, the Star of India was the name of that jewel, one of the jewels that he heisted. Yeah. And that's kind of what most of the stories center around is this heist. Yeah. But he then is a convicted murderer after that. And for some reason, yeah. a lot of the stories that have been written about him don't go into the murders. And the murders are actually pretty gruesome. Um, and the podcast does go into that and confronts oh, Jack with it. And Jack is ornery and not eager to discuss those things, which makes for a really dramatic final episode. Of the oh, movie. good. Yeah, it's really this good. Is good. This sounds like there's some great contradictions here and uh, opportunity for a great podcast. Fascinating character. I mean, as a podcast, as a character that you would want to center a podcast around, there's not a lot of better opportunities than Murph the Surf. Right. Better than the, the Tiger King. <laughs> no, I mean, that. that's right up there too. Look, 
gay polygamist that owns 280 wild cats <laughs> is kind of hard to beat. And his, and his, and his uh, potentially, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Alleged. Uh, allegedly, thank you. Is allegedly uh, plotting a murder. Yeah, against exactly. somebody who may be plotting a murder against him. Who knows? And he ran anyway, for governor. Let's kook. not forget about that. Oh, God. And he's in jail. I've got a kook. You ready? Let's hear it. Uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday at 11.25 p.m., Lincoln City police officers responded to a reported suspicion per, suspicious person walking on the U.S. Highway 101 in Lincoln City, Oregon. Have you heard about this, David? I have not. It was reported that a man was walking along the 101 while carrying several surfboards. Officers located the man and identified him as 29-year-old Christian Barry of California and Hawaii, carrying several surfboards. When asked, Barry said he had found the surfboards. During the subsequent investigation, officers saw that the surfboards still had price stickers on them and that he was wearing two hats on his head. In addition, Barry had a wetsuit tied around his waist that still had tags on it. <laughs> Barry, Barry was also found to be in possession of an acoustic guitar, wax, boards, fins, and other items, many tagged with prices and surf-related. It was later found out that a, a local store in Lincoln City had been burglarized, and Barry was booked. So Christian Barry, my kook. Good call. It's funny that that is your kook because my kook was actually similar. The guy who robbed uh, Rusty Del Mar. Really? What happened? I didn't know about this. this Rusty, is right in my neck of the woods. It is. Yeah. Rusty's Instagram account. Uh, their Rusty Del Mar, their retail shop Instagram account said this gem um, wanted some new boards, but didn't want to pay until we opened and didn't want... I'm sorry, didn't want to wait until we opened and didn't want to pay. Looks like he's got a black transit van with racks. We are a small business trying to survive. Any help in figuring out who this would be, uh, who this could be will be rewarded. DM us with email, uh, DM us or email us with info. And they posted security cam footage of the robber, uh, both inside the store, stealing the surfboards and then outside his van, loading them up. And yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it looks like a like a nameless, faceless crime because it's a retail store and they're just surfboards and there's no physical face attached to the surfboards. But dude, surfboard shapers make very, very little money. Even the best of them have a hard time turning a profit, especially if they're running a factory in California, paying the overhead of California's everything from labor cost to tax cost to insurances. There's almost no way to make a profit. And once the boards are at retail, they're making even less profit. And that retailer is making very small margin on surfboards. They, they kind of make their money on the soft goods stuff. Surfboards, stealing surfboards is yeah. a, absolutely, there are victims in that crime. And that ends up being all of the profit for somebody's business, if not that month, maybe even for the year, because they're barely scraping by. Don't steal surfboards. That's the last thing that don't steal in general. How about don't, don't steal? Don't steal in general. Look, stealing food for your kids. Maybe there's a version that you could justify of that. Stealing surfboards is the most frivolous, 
superficial thing that you can do. And what you need to be doing is paying for surfboards to stimulate this thing in industry and economy that we all do and get so much benefit from. That's what you need to be doing. No stealing. What are the seven deadly sins? Murder, sloth, envy, greed. I don't think murder is one of them. Isn't it? No. What, Let's what try it, it though. What are they? Pride, Pride envy, envy, greed, greed gluttony, gluttony, sloth, sloth, jealousy. Or no, that's envy. No. no. Um, I have no. I can't think of the other two. Wrath. Wrath. Is Wrath that? is one. Yeah. Huh. Wrath is one for sure. So that's six. Mm. I'm gonna. I gotta Google it real quick. Um, man, that movie is so good too. That is. It's the best. Um, pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust was the one that we forgot. Oh yeah. That's kind of the yeah. most obvious one. How did we forget that? <laughs> lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride. Yeah. So murder is not on there, nor is stealing. So you can do. Do what you got to do. Right, but you could argue that stealing comes from greed. And envy, maybe. If I stole surfboards, it would be gluttony. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, hey, my must-see moment. My must-see moment. Jake Zeke's Superman finger clip. uh, Yes, Jake. He's a good friend of mine. I'm a big fan. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's obviously a red-hot surfer. Um. That's funny that you say that uh, because I was going to ask you if you know him. Stab Michael Ciamarella on Stab wrote an article about all the um, dissenting voices in Jacob's post of that because Jacob posted it and said, I'm the king of Waco. This is the first ever Superman finger flip. And then Aton Osborne, who's his contemporary, who's actually won Stab High, goes, hey, that move was sick, but how about um, a little less ego or something like that? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And a bunch of other people chimed in as well. They were just like, yeah, Jake, you're a great surfer, but dude, you need to chill the F out. <laughs> and and Jake even replied and said, hey, so, I think he said it to Albie Layer. He was like, hey, dude, sorry, I'm a little arrogant. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that part of Jake and his personality? Yeah, Jake, Jake's, look, Jake's, uh, you know, 20-something young guy and he definitely has um you know he's he's got a big let's just say he's got a big personality you know but when you're around him he's a ball of pretty positive you know very positive energy um you know he's like all of us he's had some he's stumbled a bit in his youth but he's uh, he's on the right track and so i'm stoked for him look whenever he um comes out of one of those stumbles and puts out a clip of surfing, I'm always blown away. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like he's next level. Um, if he could focus his energy and just focus on surfing, it would be insane. So for him to come out of the blue and do this was pretty, I mean, it broke the internet. It was the first thing in a while that every single account reposted. I was thrilled every time I saw it pop up in my feed because you can't watch it enough. It's that freaky and freakish and next level. Yeah. But I have another question for you. Will this trick endure? We see. I don't know. I think that the idea that it's a. Go ahead. 
I was gonna say the the idea that it's a trick kind of says it all, you know, like when you when you were talking about it popping up on Instagrams everywhere, I was thinking to myself, yeah, but it I I'll take a, a really great tube ride at Superbank or it's Kira any day as far as watching. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know. Will it endure? It's a it's an incredible thing. I mean, what was the trick before it that was the trick was the you know the trick? Do you can you even does it come to your mind right away? Yeah, it does. The thing that comes to my mind that like rocked the world that everybody had commentary on was Felipe Toledo's alley oops at J Bay. Okay, so that was gosh, that was two or three years ago, maybe. Yeah. So I don't know. But again, we'll see. I think the only time will tell if it will endure. But it's in it's mind blowing. I mean, on some level it's a benchmark and it will always be a benchmark. What's interesting I think is that it's a benchmark that happened in a pool. So there will be versions of that that happen in the ocean and we'll look back at and think, oh, that got developed in R and D in the pool. Or you could make an argument that it did, but in reality, Jacob prepared for the pool by surfing in the ocean. So you can kind of undermine that argument too. But um, I mean, I look at the stuff Matt Miola does and Albi too, but specifically Matt in, um, and those windy big laughs on Maui, that just seems way more difficult. Than way like more difficult. A, a one and a half, two foot wave at a, at a pool with no, it's just, it's way more static. There's not as many elements you're dealing with. I just you're think what Matt is 100% right. 100%. Yeah. Matt, and Matt, by the way, has a dozen under his belt yes. that are way gnarlier and complicated. So many that, that they almost kind of like roll off your back a little bit. You're, totally. You know, you're just like kind of, you know what's the word i'm looking for you're, you're sort of just they um, all they all kind of melt together in yeah thank head. you that's what they do they just kind of there's so many of them that you're like oh another crazy crazy sh-. you know okay matt that guy is incredible yeah <laughs> yeah i mean after loving the jacob thing i did have the takeaway that it probably won't endure it's a little too techy and it's um it's cool and the novelty of it's amazing but I don't think we're going to look back with, um, I think it'll, you know, become white noise. It's, it's interesting, right? Because I think what we're both saying is that for true validation, we need to see this in the surf, in the ocean. We need to for see sure. this in the ocean. For sure. And until it's in the ocean, any of that stuff's, like you say, very cool, but mm, it might just, it, we might need to see validation in the ocean. Yeah. Which is what Miola brings and what Albi brings. Yep. Anyway, I agree. just a thought. Well, anyways, okay. good show, Scott. Yeah, gotta go. Good show, David. Until next time, adios and aloha. Wow.
like the former I 